It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Hello, Heather Knight, and welcome to our Steve Rubenstein episode. Steve, our newsroom reporter with the most seniority is retiring. I'm so sad about that. He's one of our most beloved colleague, super nice guy, very talented, and extremely funny, as listeners will hear. Yeah, I love this episode. There's some great storytelling. It continues our tradition of exit interviews. We've talked to Audrey Cooper, uh, our old editor-in-chief, as she was leaving. Dave Perlman, legendary science writer. Leah Garchik has gotten an exit interview. And also in this episode, we get to talk a little about the new San Francisco Chronicle newsroom, which we should describe here because Heather and I, we've both done a tour. Yeah, we went together a couple of weeks ago to check it out, and it doesn't look anything like what it used to. You wouldn't even know it was the same place if you didn't if you just landed there. Yeah, it, if you've seen movies, because the Chronicle has been in movies, Zodiac, So I Married an Axe Murderer, the, the beloved scene at the classified desk, which is actually in our newsroom, um, this is totally different. And we've been told over the years, we're going to have a cleanup, take all the stuff off the columns, uh, clean up your desk, the fire marshal's coming through, little changes in the newsroom with uh, the cubicles change, the computers change. This is totally different. This is like a brand new, different newsroom. Yeah, something tells me that if there's a So I Married an Axe Murderer sequel, which there should be, they will not be filming in our newsroom. Yeah, they could film in our lobbies because our lobbies are exactly the same. But um, <laughs> anyway, we, we talk about it with Steve and just wanted to let you know the newsroom has changed. There will be tours again and it will be different. And I will probably get lost when I give you the tour. At least there's a bar now. There's a bar. There's an awesome bar. So uh, I give it an A+. Uh, <laughs> So back to Steve, we get an incredible tour of the 1976 Chronicle newsroom from Steve. He really brings us there. A-plus stories about Joe Rosenthal, legendary photographer, Herb Kane, two of the most famous Chronicle staffers in history, and he's got a great story. We cover bikes, substitute teaching. Steve's going to be working in the SFUSD. Uh, Godspeed, Steve. And he <laughs> nailed the lightning round. When you ask, what's your favorite concert you've ever been to? Steve has the best answer forever. Oh, my God. This is an amazing answer. Everybody has to listen to the end. Yes, you're going to have to wait until the end, but I will give you a little clue. It involves United States history and Jimi Hendrix. It's the perfect answer. So we'll share a few things on Twitter. I found Steve's first story with the misspelled byline. Check out our Twitter feeds. Steve Rubenstein coming up. I'm Peter Hartlob here with Heather Knight, and this is Total SF. Thank you very much. Steve Rubenstein, welcome to the Total SF podcast and to your garage. Thank you, Heather. 
What you've been you... in my garage before. I have. It's surrounded by bicycles, junk, all the uh, and boxes full of old stories. Yes. I've also been in your kitchen watching my son make homemade ice cream and learn the harmonica with you. Oh. <laughs> Those are wonderful Very memories. Very fun days. So how, how have you spent your first two days of retirement? What have you accomplished? Nothing. I, <laughs> my wife said, boy, it's a good time to clean out the garage. I've been doing a little of that. I think uh, I've been riding my bicycle, but I did that while I was working. So I don't know if that counts. I, I miss a Chronicle every day, and uh, I enjoyed every, every day I spent there. That's a lie. I know it is not a lie. <laughs> every day walking, there had to be one day. I loved walking in in the morning and not knowing what I was going to be doing on a particular day. I think the living in the moment is is the essence of what we do and not knowing what you're going to do on a particular day and not remembering what you did yesterday and not knowing what you're going to be doing tomorrow is constantly invigorating. It's not for everybody, but I enjoyed it. Well, you were, I, I believe, our longest-tenured full-time Chronicle reporter. Nolte, I think, had been around longer. Tell me, and, and we talked about this for a newsroom uh, uh, newsletter that I put together, but what was the newsroom like when you walked in in 1976? Well, it was awful spooky to find out that I was the number one uh, <laughs> seniority guy I saw on the, on the, on the list. Uh, that, will <clears throat> that will wake you up in the morning. Uh, <laughs> It's a, and it's an honor, but it's an honor that one doesn't keep for forever. And, of course, you can argue with editors, and I I argue with Chronicle editors all the time so intently that I married one of them. But <laughs> and kept on arguing? No, we're not done arguing. I can't really argue with the calendar that said being number one in seniority was uh, an honor that I was not destined to keep forever. Uh what was it like in 1976 in June, middle of June when I walked in? It was the who, what, where, when, why part is the same. That never changes. The technology changes. We go from typewriters to crummy computers <laughs> to sophisticated computers. Fax machines have come and gone. Uh, all sorts of wonderful, uh, you know, I've still got hordes of carbon paper downstairs that is, uh, I'm sure is going to come back and be present someday. <laughs> but right now, the, what the newsroom was like it was full of people that were you could learn something from, from each and every one of them. These were legends that I was surrounded by when I walked in there that I had read growing up and read while I was at college. And uh, to be in the same room, in the same building with... Uh, with Herb Kane and Art Hoppy and uh, John Wasserman and some other reporters whose whose memory who your listeners may not remember, but who were Chronicle legends such as uh, Kevin Wallace, Carolyn Ansbacher, George Murphy, George Draper, some of the great legends of uh, 20th century journalism in San Francisco. To be surrounded by them, sitting in the same room. And then the next morning, have your stories wrapped up in the same rubber band and hitting the doorstep at the same time as their stuff. That was an honor. It was still an honor to be in the Chronicle, surrounded by the work of colleagues whose whose stories any day can knock your socks off. You know, I, I, I brag about, you know, what we're doing now. I think the Chronicle's been in a good place, and we've got a lot of talent. I look back in the archive, though, and... 
mid seventies, right around there. If I had a time machine, that'd be a good <laughs> place to go into the Chronicle newsroom because you've got all the World War II guys, yes. photographers. Some of them are still there. Joe Rosenthal. Well, was the first still story there. I went out on was with Joe Rosenthal. Joe was uh, just uh, finishing his career in the last few years when I was starting mine out. And, and we, course, we should mention for anybody who doesn't know, raising the flag at Iwo Jima. Joe Rosenthal probably took yeah. the most famous photograph in our. Profession? Do we have a profession? I guess it's a profession. <laughs> Joe Rosenthal took the most famous news photograph ever, the raising of the flag at Iwo Jima. And uh, he, there he was sitting in the car driving me to my first assignment. And I, <laughs> I said, Mr. Rosenthal, there, there's a famous photographer with your name. What a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, what what, what, what did, did I he know? say? And he said, kid, when we get to the story, I hope your questions are a little bit more intelligent than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we we became good friends, and uh, it was an honor to work with him. It was an honor to write his obituary. Yeah. Do you remember what your first story was? Well, I do remember that the Chronicle misspelled my byline three name three different ways in my first three stories. <laughs> <laughs> um, at those days, one did not put one's own byline on a story. It was put on a story by an editor when they decided a story merited it. Uh, I was surprised to find that my stories merited it. But they missed. They didn't know how to spell Rubenstein, and they didn't know how to spell Stephen with a V, or Steve with a V, actually. And I got it. They got it mangled. I think, why? Uh, I knew you were going to ask me questions <laughs> like that, Heather. I should have come up with an answer. I, well, I, I, I mean, I can't remember what I did yesterday. I can't expect <laughs> me to remember what I did in 1976. So how did your role develop at the newspaper to the guy who gets the quirky story? You're known for being very funny, and any offbeat story, editors would go straight to you. Well, it was an honor to suck up that particular niche. Uh, I don't know. I just keep my eyes open, and things... You, I think a, a good reporter just plants himself or herself in one spot, keeps his mouth shut, keeps his eyes open, and uh, keeps his ears open, keeps his pen, his or her pen moving. And uh, if things are funny, the, the, story, the story will tell itself if you observe correctly what's going on and put in the stuff that's worth putting in and leaving out the stuff that's worth leaving out. And do you have a few favorite or most memorable weird assignments? Well, I should, I should know by now. Uh, one of the great things the Chronicle was let me do was to ride my bicycle across the country in the summer of 2006 and write stories about it. I was going to do that as a leave of absence, and the Chronicle said, well, why don't you write stories about it? And I said, well, it's not really a leave of absence if I do that. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, go, go ahead. And I said, you're going to leave me on the clock for two months to ride my bicycle? And uh, this blessed institution of ours uh, said yes. And... Uh, <laughs> That's a pretty good scam. That's yeah. as good a scam as I'll you've ever that. pulled in the newspaper <laughs> business. Um, I like talking to people that haven't been talked to before. It don't usually get talked to. Um, for instance, I, I have interviewed, uh, I've spoken with uh, Bill Clinton, and I've spoken with Bill Clinton's chef. And Bill Clinton's chef is a better interview than Bill Clinton. Mm. I always tell journalism students, if you have a choice between the president and the president's chef, go for the president's chef. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have a better time. 
and you'll get an answer that hasn't been written in advance. Of course, the president's chef has also been interviewed before, but not as many times. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, the legends that were there when you showed up. Herb Cain was there. What was it like to be a young reporter and walk in, and Herb Cain's there, and you worked with him for, for, you know, a couple of decades. Is there a good Herb Cain story in there? Well, the first time I got my name into Herb Cain's column, everybody wanted to get their name into his or her name into Herb Cain's column. Uh, and when I was first starting out, I wanted to very badly, because it didn't matter how many bylines you had in the Chronicle, unless you had contributed an item to Herb Cain, you had not really made a mark. I was looking all over town for an item to get into Herb Cain's column, because Herb would stick your name on it if you... And I couldn't find... I gave him items, and he didn't use them. And finally, I'm walking down the street one morning to the Chronicle and stopped in for a breakfast at a restaurant and out in front it had a, there was a big sign that said French toast dredged in powdered sugar mm-hmm. I thought that was funny I thought it was they meant drenched so I said I thought dredged is what you dig up at the bottom of the bay and this was a misprint and I, I said to Herb I came back into the office and I wrote up a little thing for Herb I said it's French toast dredged in powdered sugar etc and says this restaurant on Geary he he put it in, the, in his column the next day. Well, of course, dredged, dredging pe- French toast is what you do to French toast. It's a common cooking <laughs> term. You dredge, you dredge it means you cover it with, uh, you know, you cover it with powdered sugar or whatever you do. I'm not a cook, but I know it's a cooking term. Well, I didn't know it then, but I know it now. Because Curb King the next day got nothing but phone calls <laughs> from people who said, "You idiot! <laughs> What's the matter with dredging French toast and powdered sugar?" You know, one call. Uh, my first item for Herb Kane's column was a goof, and uh, he came in. You know, Herb was a very nice fellow. I liked him. He had a attention span about seven seconds. He came into the room, and I'd never seen him uh, come in the city room before. And he said. You Rubin? I looked up from my desk, and there he was. And I said, "And he said, uh, you're Rubenstein, aren't you?" I said, uh, "Yes, sir." It was like looking at the burning bush. <laughs> and uh, I said, "Yes, sir." He said, "You're Steve Rubenstein." I said, "Yes, sir." You're the guy with the gave me the item about the French toast dredged in powdered sugar. <laughs> I said, "You bet." He said, "You look that one up. Look that up before you give it to me." He said, "No." He said, "You got a dictionary?" I said, "Well." Not really, sir. He says, well, now you do. And he reached from behind his back. <laughs> <laughs> Gave me a dictionary, and uh, which I uh, still have. Yeah. <laughs> so Herb Cain and Joe Rosenthal were uh, probably uh, oh, that Rubenstein. <laughs> well, what did he know? <laughs> I think they're still saying that. Yeah. Well, I, li- I liked Herb very much. He was... He was, of course, an institution, and he was a chronicle legend, and it was uh, uh, nobody could do what he has done before or since, which is write wonderful copy, readable copy, six days a week with a very high, incredibly high batting average. It's just remarkable what he did. Uh, your day was not complete until you had read Herb Cain's column. Uh, nobody ever said that about the stuff I wrote, but... Herb was a, a legend, but I do remember being in the inter, in the elevator one time with Herb Kane, the publisher, and the uh, editor in chief at the time. And I think Herb said that the four of us, as we were riding down, if this elevator crashes, the Chronicle will still come out tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> 
And uh, he was right. Yeah. Well, speaking of faulty elevators, I really loved your story recently on Sutro Tower. Um, we both have been to the top um, recently as well. And I did you survive? Totally Apparently with you, did you survive. that the elevator is like the worst part. I didn't get stuck, but you did get stuck. You got stuck? Yes. I missed I this. I'm sorry, uh, Steve. Well, I didn't I read this one. It's probably good I didn't because I wouldn't have gone on the elevator. <laughs> She's way tougher than I am. I got to the top and I wanted to turn back and I didn't, but I wanted to. It was that's one of the great things about this racket is you wind up you wind up in places like the top of Sutro Tower on a on an elevator that had faulty uh, latches and connections. Well, we got up to the top, and I was in the elevator waiting to come down from the 800-foot level or the 600-foot level or whatever the, whatever the elevation is. Uh, the elevator buttons were pushed, and nothing happened. Yeah, I loved how you described it in this story. This is classic Rube, if you'll indulge oh, me. Oh, I'll be honored. <laughs> <laughs> 45-year-old elevators break down, which is what the Sutro elevator did when a Chronicle reporter, that would be you, was inside of it at the tower's summit waiting to return to planet Earth after a brief tour. The button on the control panel was pushed. The elevator descended five feet, then stopped. It wouldn't budge. Over the walkie-talkie, engineer, whatever his name was, told the reporter to slam the elevator's sliding door and, quote, jiggle and wiggle the safety catch. This the reporter did. <laughs> The elevator descended another five feet and stopped again. At the moment, the reporter was the highest person in the city and county of San Francisco and not getting any lower. <laughs> <laughs> so for people not familiar with Rube's writing, that's a great example. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> what, a, what an honor it was to have that read by you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after this short break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, um, you're leaving newspaper journalism to go to work for SFUSD, which I yes. don't know if this is a good idea. This does not sound like a relaxing job. Well, I've done it before. This is my second retirement from the Chronicle. I retired in 2009, and the editor, foolishly enough, uh, asked me to come back in 2015. And I have enjoyed these last six years as much as I've enjoyed any time that I've spent at the newspaper. But I thought I would... 70 is 70, and that's a long time. And uh, So you want to go work with middle school kids? Uh, well, you know, going, <laughs> I've, I've had a lot of experience in elementary school. I like ele the elementary school okay. classroom particularly. And um, being, in a, being in the Chronicle newsroom is a lot like being in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just going to a different kind of kindergarten, the real one. Uh, the attention span in real kindergarten is a little bit longer. Wow. Than the attention span at Chronicle Kindergarten. <laughs> what are some skills that work, you know, between being a reporter and a substitute teacher? Listening mm -hmm. and trying to keep the focus on the paying customer <laughs> 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 and not on yourself and to meet the needs of, uh, of the racket that you're involved in. In the case of kindergarten, a little, literal racket. <laughs> 
Well, Lily Janik is my bike mentor. I have to say that right off the bat. But you're an OG Chronicle bike rider. Um, you were, I'm sure, one of the first ones to use that locker. And you've been su- <laughs> surviving in San Francisco biking for 50 plus years. Uh, what are your favorite Bay Area rides and kind of what what's some advice you would give to Heather and I relatively new bike commuters about surviving in San Francisco? Oh, it's easy. Everybody says it's too hilly to ride a bicycle in San Francisco, which is not true. If you're careful, you pick your routes. There are wonderful bike routes through San Francisco that one can do without really tackling any hills. And when you get your get your bearings a little bit, then you're ready for a little bit more challenging stuff like uh, going across the bridge and going over the through the hills of Marin County and maybe coming back on a ferry or maybe going out to the East Bay and um, coming back on BART. I like, I like the options that public transit gives you as a bike rider to, to zoom out to a neck of the Bay Area that you haven't been to and come back, uh, maybe even from, you know, from a different on a different public transit. I like uh, I like taking public transit with the bicycle. It's really kind of a real adventure. You can leave your car at home and have a great time. You're gone now, so you can be honest. What is your review of the new Chronicle Newsroom? Well, it's a fascinating place. It looks like uh, you're ready to go in and write insurance policies or something. <laughs> it's brand spanking new. Uh, I have seen many, many remodels of the Chronicle Newsroom over you the years. You have? It seems Not, like it's always been the same. Well, it's always been kind of the same. They took out the carpet one time and put in the red linoleum, and that was, oh, my goodness, the end of the world. And they uh, reconfigured the desks into cubicles, and oh, my goodness, that was the end of the world. They, they never took the nicotine stains off of the ceiling. No. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> it but it's, it's humbling. I was in the newsroom for the first uh, for the first time. For the last, first and last time, I suppose, I thought I would write up my final story in the newsroom. And, of course, the newsroom has been empty because of the pandemic. It's, and I was sitting by myself completely alone in the new Chronicle newsroom writing my last story. Um, for the Chronicle, or what? I guess just about my last story. And a, a strange fellow uh, walked up to me while I was writing and said, uh, "I wanted to know who I was and what was I doing in a in a newsroom," which is are questions that I have asked myself <laughs> for half a century. And I, I uh, looked up, and uh, it was the uh, new editor in chief of the Chronicle, Emilio, who I had uh, not met face to face before, and he had not met me face. So it was a completely legitimate question, and. Uh, from his part, and always a good question to ask me, what the heck am I doing in a newsroom? Uh, one day I will figure it out. I guess I have retirement to to ponder the answer to that question. But didn't you have a question for him? Well, I did. I, I didn't recognize him either. And I asked him who he was, which is probably not the smartest thing to ask the editor and she, uh, to ask a person with two hyphens in his title, two more hyphens than I got. So this is three powerful people in the Chronicle <laughs> whose first encounters with you have been a little shaky. Yeah. <laughs> but three's a yeah. trend. That's a trend. Story. Well, I'm getting out at the right time. Then. That's just, just ahead of the action. I'm afraid to ask what Audrey Cooper uh, said when she met you newsroom a little bit sterile didn't figure into your decision to retire though oh no i don't think the newsroom will will not is not going to be sterile when the wonderful people that make up the chronicle go back into it and put their junk on the walls and load up the desk do you think we'll be allowed to put our junk on the walls i i wouldn't say no to you about anything heather (laughs) 
<laughs> if I knew what was good for me. <laughs> if you want to put junk on the walls, I think you've got to go ahead and do it. Okay. There will be some inner office memos about it, which, which in the way of all inner office memos can be ignored. I talked to Emilio and Bill about it, and they said that um, they plan to keep the walls as is. I think that as a newsroom, we need to do it kind of like critical mass and just everybody come in and start putting stuff up yeah. at once so that they can't do anything about it. And They'll this just could be your up. last podcast? Is that right? <laughs> it might be. It might be. I, I think the, the, the Chronicle is the staff of the people that work there, and when the Chronicle staff returns to the newsroom, it'll, it'll quickly be broken in like a nice pair of shoes. And right now it's a sterile place, but it won't yeah. be. I think we need that poster back that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's kind of got a one flew over the cuckoo's nest vibe right now. I mean, I feel like um, I like like that there's kind of the wine bar there, and there's a couple of rooms where you can go cry, mm-hmm. just like a bench. with. And I like you can still get the old windows, but I feel like I should be lining up for pills somewhere. Just like yes. in a little cup there, of pills there's ratchet and water. right up in the front yeah. there with the behind yeah. the window, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm Kevin, the great the great Kevin Fagan was telling me he's got no place for his five uh, five filing cabinets full of uh, mass murderer notes, <laughs> and uh, he's uh, for he has to keep them in his garage instead of in his what? filing cabinets at the newsroom. You I never mean, know when you're going to need your mass murderer. I know he's got, there's so many mass murderers, and he's got so many. Files. Well, we, I work in A and E, and for a while, I would walk out of A and E, and right outside there were these brand new filing cabinets there, and they all just said Zodiac on them. <laughs> and I'm like, Kevin Fagan. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm hopeful that once people are back and our stuff is back, it'll start looking more normal. Yeah, and the technology is good. And the one thing I like too is they have cubicles again, and they had made this decision right before we moved that we weren't going to have cubicles. Yeah. We were just going to have. It was sort yes. of like the trough urinals at, at <laughs> Candlestick Park, yes. where you were all just kind of like side to side doing intimate things. That was how they did it. It was one desk, and Alex Fong was next to me, and I'm left-handed. He's right-handed. We're hitting each other. So there's some separation now. Um, speaking of which, uh, you've left the Chronicle twice, which gives this retirement the feel of one of those like Kiss or Motley Crue farewell tours where there's like six of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they just happen over and over. Um, what can we do to convince you to come back in two weeks? What a nice thing to say. Uh, what a nice thing to say. Thank you. I... I love the work, and uh, I may keep doing a little bit of it. I have some writing projects that I'm trying to get a handle on right now, but uh, I think uh, 70 is 70. Don't you think 70 is 70? I I worked alongside people who worked the great Dave Perlman, who, of course, you and I both know, all three of us know very well, uh, was a Chronicle legend, our former science editor who retired... uh, in his late 90s and uh, lived to 101. He was Superman, and I'm not of his. Uh, I'm not of his metal or skills. You don't think you have 28 more years? Of I don't years? think so. He's. <laughs> I keep. <laughs> I keep. A- I kept asking him when it was it would be okay to retire, and he kept saying, "When the time comes, you'll know." Okay. Well, you've survived our famous questions. Uh, sorry. You've survived. It's an emotional moment. So we had a little emotional moment here. It's hard to go to the lightning round, you know. Sorry, Heather. Okay, you survived our serious questions, and now it's time for the famous lightning round. Are you ready? 
I, I, yeah, I'm going to do my best. Okay. Where is your favorite place in San Francisco to get a burrito? A burrito? Uh, maybe La Cumbre? I, uh, that's old school. I, and maybe La Corneta? Mm-hmm. What is your favorite movie filmed in San Francisco? Could it be Bullet? Could. Could it? That's a great choice. Yes. No one would argue with you. Where's your favorite place in the city to get a stiff drink? I'm not, you know, that's one of the things that I've not accompanied my newspaper career is that. I, uh, not much, I can tell you the best place to get lemonade. <laughs> Where's that? <laughs> Uh, actually, the, the best place to get a drink is from the water bottle on your bicycle. Oh. There we go. Yeah, you know, the M&M bar, when I came in, it was this legendary thing. And I didn't, I didn't, I went there like four times, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I found, like, I saw people like you and Eric Brazil and Kevin Fagan, people who were, like, really into the journalism, but also went home. And, and I kind of took that path, too. So I'm with you on the... Uh, no quick answer for where to get the stiff drink and the water bottle and the bike is fine. Okay. Not saying what was in the water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) What was your first concert? I went to Woodstock in 1969. You did? I did. I was way in the back in the mud. Of course, when you went to Woodstock, you didn't know it was Woodstock, the defining moment of your generation at the time. It was just Woodstock, a nice big concert with a lot of people in it. And uh, I should have been, at, I was a, enrolled in college at the time, and I should have been attending class at UC Berkeley that summer quarter. Uh, it was a, quite a summer, you know. Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, and, uh, and Jimi Hendrix played the Star Spangled Banner. On. It was a wonderful summer, and I was, enjoyed every minute of Woodstock. Wow. And uh, I didn't know until after it was over uh, how how what incredible moment it really was! I just knew it was a great uh, a great three days in the mud. <laughs> what performances stick out in your mind? Oh, I liked uh, I liked Country Joe and the Fish very much. Who um, you're in a band with uh, one of those one yes. of those uh, yeah. circumstances? Barry the Fish on there. there yes, <laughs> Barry is a friend and. Uh, and a bandmate now these yeah. days in the Irish Newsboys, which is a newspaper band that uh, that uh, Barry is also a member of, yeah. and uh, some other some other and Peter Alban from uh, Big Brother and the Holden Company, who also played at Woodstock, is is there in in the band with us. And uh, what an honor it is for me to try, <laughs> try yeah. to keep up with with legends like that. Yeah, Barry the Fish Melton. Uh, nice. Yeah. Well, that might be the best answer to that question we've ever had. Yeah, I think so. Woodstock, you can't beat that. Yeah. What was your first concert? Oh, Woodstock. Well, it wasn't my first, (laughs) but it was the one that stuck in my mind. What was the last book you read? The last book I read, I'm reading The Elegant Universe by Mr. Green, by Brian Green. Uh, That's on my nightstand right now. It's not a new book, but it's... uh, it's taken me to places I haven't been before. Hmm. What was the favorite story you ever wrote for the Chronicle? I knew you were going to ask me that, Heather. And <laughs> it is not a lie to say that I cannot answer that question. I don't think it's possible for a reporter to answer that question. If you have been immersed in this wonderful craft of ours for half a century, 
everything is tied for number one, I think. I, I enjoy tomorrow's story. Well, I wish there was tomorrow's story. I enjoy the next story as much as I've enjoyed any of the ones in the past. Hmm. And I try to keep the focus on what's coming next. I like reliving the old stuff, but I like even more looking what what's coming up. Present company excluded. Who is your favorite Chronicle colleague of all time? Well, it better be a dead person. Don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> I don't get. I have loved everybody that I have sat in that room with. I, with, uh, I can't think of any exceptions. The, some of the le- legends, some of the names that have made the most impression on me, are names that may not resonate with your uh, listeners because they're from a different era. But the great Kevin Wallace, I was honored to sit next to. Kevin Wallace was a reporter at the Chronicle in my early days in the 70s, and he was just finishing his career. He gave me inspiration like nobody else ever did, and he was kind enough to look after me a little bit. What did Uh, he cover? He covered light future stories, and he also illustrated them with his wonderful uh, drawing pen. Mm. Uh, And Dave Perlman was a great, great influence on me. His kindness, his generosity, his always willing, his willingness to listen and to steer you in a right direction if you had a problem with an editor or just a problem. He always had time to listen. Mm-hmm. He, he stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Miss him greatly, yeah. as, as does everybody in everybody, every reader of the San Francisco Chronicle. This is Mr. Perlman. Last question. What is something you always make sure to squeeze into your busy day? Oh, cup of coffee, a hug for my wife, and a spin on the bicycle. Sounds good to me. That sounds like a good day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're really going to miss you, but thanks for getting together today. What a joy this was. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having us in your garage, and we're going to miss you, but uh, I know I'll see you around. And um, uh, honor to work with you, sir. Thank you very much. Likewise. Thank you for listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Total SF is a production of the Chronicle. Our music is The Tide Will Rise by the Sunset Shipwrecks off their album Community and Cable Car Bell Ringing by eight-time champion Byron Cobb. Support Total SF in the newsroom that creates it by investing in a digital Chronicle edition. It's less expensive than you think at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 